praise the Lord. What a wonderful time of singing and worship this morning. Guys, thank you so much. Cameron and the team. Um, you know, worship is the response of a redeemed heart to who God is and to what he has done. And I want to just consider this last verse. I took a picture before it went by, so I wouldn't forget it. Um, oh, to see the name written in the Death is crushed to death and life is mine to live. One through your selfish, selfless love. It's all Christ. It's all the cross and his glorious resurrection. You know, I read a quote last night as I was just looking through some things. And even though it's really not the point of my text, I just wanted to share it with you. I thought it would be an encouragement to you this morning. It's this. It's by Sinclair Ferguson. He says, the weakest faith gets the same strong Christ as does the strongest faith. I just want you to consider that and think on that today, even as you hear the word proclaimed. We've been through some discouraging times in these last few years, right? Just in the world around us, in the country around us, there's been so much to fret about, right? So much has been coming in from all different directions. Just remember this, even if you feel your faith is hanging by a thread, he who began a good work in you is the one who will complete it, right? No one will pluck you out of the Father's hand. Know this, that you are part Part of the family of God because of the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, and you're not going anywhere. So I want to now turn to James chapter 3, which is where we'll continue in our Faith in Action series, following Jesus in real life. So James chapter 3, verses 1 through 12, it says this, not many of you should become teachers, my brothers, for you know that we who teach will be judged with greater strictness. For we all stumble in many ways, and if anyone does not stumble in what he says, he's a perfect man, able also to bridle his whole body. If we put bits into the mouths of horses so that they obey us, we we guide their whole bodies as well. Look at the ships also. Though they are so large and are driven by strong winds, they are guided by a very small rudder, wherever the will of the pilot directs. So also the tongue is a small member, yet it boasts of great things. How great a forest is set ablaze by such a small fire. And the tongue is a fire, a world of unrighteousness. The tongue is set among our members, staining the whole body, set on fire the entire course of life, and set on fire by hell. Verse 7, for every kind of beast and bird, of reptile and sea creature can be tamed and has been tamed by mankind, but no human being can tame the tongue. It's a restless evil full of deadly poison. With it we bless our Lord and Father, and with it we curse people who are made in the likeness of God. From the same mouth come blessing and cursing. My brothers, these things ought not to be so. Does a spring pour forth from the same opening both fresh and salt water? Can a fig tree, my brothers, bear olives, or a grapevine produce figs? Neither can a salt pond yield fresh water. Words matter. And our text in a nutshell is this. So to boil it down a little bit as we get into our points for today... It says this, words matter. The tongue is small but powerful. It's easier to tame a wild animal than it is to control our tongues. James says that it's actually impossible to do so. 
Our communication reveals what is in our hearts, and the only one who can change our hearts is Jesus Christ. And as we get into this text today, church family, I want to just define a term. So when James talks about the tongue, he's talking about our verbal communication. He's talking about the way we communicate. So it could be the things we say, and it's also the things we text, and it's also the things we post, and it's also the replies we do and the comments we put under videos on YouTube, right? So he's talking about our communication. When he talks about the tongue, he's not just talking about that two-ounce three-inch thing in our mouth. Can we control that? He is talking about controlling our communication. So our points today in our text are these. One will be the purpose, the purpose of this section in Scripture. Two is of horses, boats, and fires. Three is you cannot prevent forest fires. And four is the heart of the issue. So let's jump right in to the purpose. The text here says, Not many of you should become teachers, my brothers, for you know that we who teach will be judged with greater strictness. We all stumble in many ways. If anyone does not stumble in what he says, he's a perfect man, able to bridle his whole body. Now, first I want to just say, now this first opening verse is not the point of the text, but it sets up the reason for the text. So I want to sit there for just a minute. Okay, so it's saying in 1 Timothy 3, it does say to desire the office of a teacher, of a bishop, of a pastor, of an overseer. It's a good thing. So it's a good thing to want to teach the Bible. So we, t- we say to share the word, to teach the word is a wonderful thing to desire to do. But think about this. Have you ever seen, like, say, after a service here, maybe we're setting up for a potluck, and maybe a child will make his way or her way past all of the lines of defense and get up here to one of the microphones, and the system's still on. They grab the mic. It's just like, they just yell into it or say something. Nothing to say, right? There's a desire to be up in front of people. There's a desire to say something, but there's really not much to be said, right? So there's a difference in desiring to be up in front of people to say something, but is there something to be said, So James comes along and he urges caution. He says, check your motivations. If you want to teach the word of God, that's wonderful, right? Teach the word of God. But let's check our motivations. Let's check our hearts. So in Matthew 23, 1 through 8, Jesus says this. He says, Then Jesus said to the crowds and to his disciples, The scribes and the Pharisees sit on Moses' seat. So do and observe what they tell you, but not the works they do. For they preach, but they do not practice. They tie up heavy burdens, hard to bear, and they lay them on people's shoulders. But they themselves are not willing to move them with their finger. They do all their deeds to be seen by others. For they make their phylacteries broad and their fringes long. And they love the place of honor at feasts and the best seats in the synagogue and greetings in the marketplaces and being called rabbi by others. They love all of those things that say, look at me. But you are not to be called rabbi, for you have one teacher, and you are all brothers. And so he's saying that those who are teaching, the rabbis, the Pharisees that were teaching, so many of them, their hearts were far from the Lord, but they just loved the greetings, right? Look how I'm dressed, and when I enter a room, I'm the wise one. Know me as the guy who knows the Bible. And that's the motivation behind it. And so I want to say this now from this first verse, James is saying, let not many of you become teachers, for you know that we who teach will be judged with greater strictness. Now, he's talking about the motivations of our hearts. 
I want to tell you here, and just make sure you understand, believers, we are not going to be judged with any type of condemnation at the end of our lives. We'll stand before the Lord, and we will give an account, but it will be, even as we give that account to the Lord, it will be done that is received with grace because of what Christ has done on our behalf. Romans 8.1 says, There's therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. And that's true, and it applies now and for all of eternity. But when we stand before the Lord, we will, even as one's justified, we will give an account for the things that we say and the things that we've done. We'll stand before the Lord. What did you do with this life that I gave you? Right? 2 Corinthians tells us this. It says, So whether we at home or away, we make it our aim to please him. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ so that each one may receive what is due for what he has done in the body, whether good or evil. So it says our aim, our desire as people in Christ is to please him. Our desire as people who have been saved by Jesus Christ is to live a life of worship. We want to honor and obey him, not to earn anything, but to, to show our love for him, to show our gratitude to him for what he has done. So James is saying, however, don't rush to be a teacher because those who are teaching the word will be examined more closely. It will be a stricter examination, a stricter judgment. He says that we all stumble in many ways. Think about just your last few days of your life. In your heart, in the things you've said, in the things you've done, the places that you've stumbled. He says this is a given. We're human beings and we stumble each and every day. And he says, even if you can control that, even if you're able to like white knuckle your way through not watching that thing or not going to that place or whatever that is, that sin that you struggle with, he says, beyond all of that, if you can control what you say, well, you could do anything. So he says, to, to, to put more of a bow on this first point, he says, don't rush to teach because it's hard enough to control what you say in the mundane, just average areas of life. Imagine if you can't control what you say when you are teaching the Word of God. So even though who teaches the Word is not the primary point, I think it's important that we see this because he's talking about the importance of controlling our speech. Have you ever been saying something harsh and it's almost like you can stand beside yourself and watch you like, what are you even saying? Why are you saying this, right? You kind of lose your temper and the mouth just kind of opens and you start saying things that you know you don't even mean. And you almost know it while you're saying it. You're like, what in the world am I doing? I'm hurting somebody. I'm breaking a heart here and I don't even mean this. Why can't you just stop? You ever think about that? Why is it so hard to just close the mouth and stop saying those words? Take a deep breath and change course. It's because the tongue is a difficult thing to harness. It's nearly impossible, as James will say as we read about it later. We can be judgmental towards our spouses and our children. We can gossip about people, say terrible things about the person who got that promotion when, of course... Since we're the center of our own stories, we should have got that promotion, and here's five reasons why, right? So our mouth will just go and just say things about that person, why they shouldn't have gotten it. And we also hesitate to say sweet and kind and loving things. Sometimes we know something that would be a wonderful thing to say, but for some reason we just don't get it out of our mouth. You look nice today. Great job on that. Hey, I'm proud of you. Or even, I love you. It should be so easy, but controlling our tongue is a difficult thing. 
So this is the purpose of our text today. And he uses the teaching of scripture as such a, such a difficult place to control what you say. He uses that as an example, but kind of a springboard, a launching board into the whole concept of the controlling of our tongue, the difficulty of it, and the why behind it. All right, so that's a short point, but the next ones, the next ones are where we'll really start digging a little bit deeper. So that first one was the purpose And the second point is this, of horses, boats, and fires. Verse 4, it says, We look at the ships also, that they are so large and are driven by strong winds, they are guided by a very small rudder, wherever the will of the pilot directs. So also the tongue is a small member, yet it boasts of great things. How great a forest is set ablaze by such a small fire. You know, through each one of our sections over these last few weeks, James gives us such really helpful, beautiful imagery, right? We mentioned that he's a pastor. He was a pastor of the church at Jerusalem. He loves to use illustrations, right? Just like all pastors do, to tell a good story. But if you, if you can't understand, here are some things that the person reading this in the original time would say, you know... I can, I can really understand where he's going here. So there's two examples he uses here to tell you just how powerful that tiny little tongue is in the way it can direct a life, right? First, he talks about the horse. Have you ever ridden a horse? Raise your hand here if you've ever ridden a horse, okay? You know what strikes me as the first time you ride a horse? It's always bigger and stronger and more powerful than you really thought it was going to be. You knew it was going to be strong and powerful, but you get on it and you go, whew, I was not prepared for this, right? The video I watched, the book I read did not prepare me for this feeling. Like, this is a serious situation. And they are very strong, and they're very big, and they can be, they average around 660 pounds. And I was thinking to myself, how much stronger is a horse than a person? So I Googled it. I Googled, how much stronger is a horse than a human? And this is what I got. It says, in fact, now this is very strange to me. Listen to this. The maximum output of a horse can be up to 15 horsepower. Now, I'm not a math professor, but that sounds strange. (laughs) Right? The actual output of a human at maximum is a bit more than a single horsepower. For extreme athletes, this out can, can be a little bit higher, like a Tour de France rider can put out about 1.2 horsepower for 15 seconds, just under 0.9 horsepower for a minute. Now, you notice how a lot of things are measured in horsepower. Oh, I wanted to give you an illustration there, there as well. Things are measured in horsepower, right? So you have cars, 100 horsepower, 200 horsepower. Now you have cars that'll even come off the line now at 800 horsepower. You're thinking, that's a lot. It's a lot of horsepower. The space shuttle at liftoff generates or generated 37 million horsepower at liftoff. So I'm not sure how horsepower works, but that would mean if you did not have the fuel, if you harnessed 37 million horses to the space shuttle, you could get the same job done, apparently, right? But horses are synonymous with strength. And James says you can put one little bit in their mouth, just a little bit. Check this out. This is the bit. So if you look at the horse's mouth there, this is a picture of what that bit would look like, right? It's just a few inches long. What is it? It's five inches long. It's only half a pound compared to a 660-pound animal. You put that in the mouth, and whichever way you go, horse is going to go that way. You control it with something so small. Then he goes on to say, look at the ships also. 
right? They're driven by strong winds and are guided by a very small rudder wherever the pilot directs. I love the way the King James used to say is wherever the governor listeth, wherever the, the pilot, wherever the captain wants to go, just turn that little wheel and a rudder that is relatively small compared to the boat, compared to the ship, directs where it goes. Now, I reached out to my buddy, Nathan Palmer, and I said, hey, could you tell me about, like, the boats that you guys deal with? I said, tell me about the boat you're on. And he said, and I said, tell me the size of the boat, tell me the size of the rudder. You know, when he texted me back, he says, my boat doesn't have a rudder. To which I responded, the Bible says it does. And, and he said, well, it's actually a ship. Words matter. I said, oh. I said, wow, I'm preaching on that this Sunday. Well, that's... Wow, you got me. I'll pray about that, I suppose. But so he sent me this. So check this out. This is a picture that he sent me. This is the USS Thomas Hudner. It's 506 feet long. And the rudder, look at the rudder on the back of it there. It is 10 feet compared to 506 feet. That's such a small percentage, right? But it directs where that thing turns, the ship is going to go even more so. This is the Nimitz, and the Nimitz-class aircraft carrier is almost 1,100 feet long, with rudders 29 feet high and 22 feet long. Again, 1,100 feet compared to 22 feet. That is such a tiny percentage. And when it turns, the vessel turns, the ship turns, right? So in this case as well, the boat is huge and the power is unimaginable and all it takes to guide it is this small rudder. And so he goes back and in verse 5 he says, so also the tongue is a small member. So he's comparing it. He says the horses, there's a bit. For the ship, there's the rudder. For the body, for the person, there's the tongue. And it directs where that life goes. It directs where that person goes. He says how great a forest is set ablaze by such a small fire. He says look at how we control horses and ships with such small things things, and our tongue is also so small and seemingly insignificant, but it says, he, he says it deals with big things. It deals with enormous things, and it sets a direction. Think about how your life has been set, the direction of your life has been set by the things you've said in your life or the things you've not said. It changes everything. Maybe it was, I love you just at the right time that changed everything. Maybe it was, I quit just at the wrong time. <laughs> now you're thinking, boy, that changed everything, right? Think of it. Wars start because words. Marriages start because of words, and choices that change your life are expressed in just a few words. A plan to kill, steal, abduct is composed of words. I hate you is words. I forgive you is words. And I love you is words. Second half of, of, of uh, verse 5, in this final illustration, he says, it's how fires start, right? It's out of a small spark, out of a small fire. Let me read it to you here from the text. It says, how great a forest fire is set ablaze by such a small flame, by such a small fire. Now, guys in the room, I'm not trying to brag. Let me just say this right now. And also remember this, as your pastor, envy is a sin. But I need to tell you something. I have two gas grills, okay? One of them, Jody got me for my birthday, and one my dad gave me, two, all right? So I just said that, and you guys can deal with your own heart on that. Um, 
But you know what I did to get ready for the summer? I cleaned them both out the other day. It was a lot easier than I was terrified of, but I cleaned them out, and I had to remove these little tubes underneath the, uh, you know, the, the grill part. And the tubes have holes, and when you turn on the gas, the gas comes through those tubes, but you got to spark it. I thought, this is really neat. I've never seen how it ignites, right? So I turned it over, and there's just a tiny little metal thing. And when you turn the thing that clicks, it's a tiny, that's it. It's a spark. That's all that's needed. And you know when you turn it, if it's working right, it goes from that spark to a big, pretty dangerous flame, zero to 60 in less than a second, right? It's going. And I thought to myself, this is amazing to see the tininess of the spark and how quickly we have a big, you know, potentially dangerous flame if it's not being controlled. And this is how our tongues, our words, can impact the world around us. Think of the series of events that can be put into place just by a few careless words. So to recap, it's a 10-foot rudder. It's a 5-inch bridle. It's a 3-inch, 2-ounce tongue, all three of which are small, relatively small things that can make a massive difference in our lives. So he's about to get pretty serious here, something for us to consider. So the third, the third point is this. You cannot prevent forest fires. Verse 6, And the tongue is a fire, a world of unrighteousness. The tongue is set among our members, staining the whole body, set on fire the entire course of life, and set on fire by hell. For every kind of beast and bird, of reptile and sea creature, can be tamed and has been tamed by mankind, but no human being can tame the tongue. It's a restless evil full of deadly poison. Listen to this picture, the destructive potential of our words. He says the tongue is a fire. It's a world of unrighteousness, staining the whole body and set on fire by hell. So the source of our gossip and our slander, our ambitious flattery, there's no secret what the source is, and let's not lie to ourselves. James just said it's set on fire by where? By hell. That's where those things come from. These things are evil as we slander people and gossip about them and say just the right word to try to get ourselves in the right position for the next position, right? All the things that we will say set on fire by hell. Do you guys remember the 1996 Olympics? Let me refresh your memory. It was in Atlanta. Remember, it was in Atlanta. And I remember this. The Olympic torch passed through Jacksonville. Did anybody see it in person? Did anyone see the torch pass through? Because I remember my parents took me. I was 19 years old. I graduated high school the year before. We all went down as a family somewhere downtown. And it was so exciting. We were getting these updates, and the fire came through. Some, a runner carrying the torch, and there it was, right? The cool thing wasn't the runner, right? The cool thing wasn't the torch. The cool thing about it was the fire. It's, we've all seen fire. We see it every day. But what's different about that fire? That fire, that, that fire on the torch was lit in Greece at the site of the original first Olympics, in Olympia, Greece. It was lit in Greece, then transported around the world to that runner who ran through downtown Jacksonville and kept it. And then, a little while later, I guess a couple days later, we see it handed to Muhammad Ali on TV, and he lights the torch, right? It's that same fire, and we saw it. We saw the source, we saw it being carried, and we saw its final destination. 
that fire was taken from a source, transported with a torch, and delivered to his destination. Your tongue, James says, is a fire. The source of that flame, just as the Olympic torch's source of the flame was Olympia, Greece, the source of that flame is hell itself. It's lit there. You transport it and use it to deliver judgmental, harsh, hateful, hurtful words to set a flame with ramifications greater than that of a forest fire. Words have power. Verse 7, it says, look at the way we can tame all sorts of animals. You know, I've seen, you know, I know in this room we've seen all kinds of trained animals, right? Whether it's at a theme park, at the circus, at the zoo. You know, we've seen elephants and tigers and bears and dolphins and killer whales and sea lions, like all kinds of things, right? The pet show at SeaWorld is like my favorite. You know, I can't get my dog to sit, but they can get their, you know, animals to do so many things. It's amazing to see. And James says, listen, people can and have tamed all kinds of of animals. But verse 8, he says, but no human being can tame their own tongue. It's a restless evil full of deadly poison. And that's why I call this point, you can't prevent forest fires. James said, you can't tame it. In and of yourself, you can't tame it. We need someone bigger and better outside of ourselves to do so. So the tongue is a fire, and without Jesus, there is no quenching that fire. And I think about this. In John chapter 7, Jesus said, He who believes in me, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. It's a good way to put out a fire, isn't it? To love Jesus, to walk with Jesus. So that was, you cannot prevent forest fires. And finally, our final point is this the heart of the issue. Verse 9 to the end of the passage. With it, we bless our Lord and Father. With it, we curse people who are made in the likeness of God. From the same mouth come blessing and cursing, my brothers. These things ought not to be so. Verse 11, does a spring pour forth from the same opening both fresh and salt water? Can a fig tree, my brothers, bear olives? Or a grapevine produce figs? Neither can a salt pond Yield fresh water. Verse 9 and 10, I think this is the really wicked part that exposes our hearts. You know, we sing and we shout blessings. We say we love Jesus. And we sing about it. We affirm it. We amen and we raise our hands. And we use that same tongue to yell at people we love in private. Or to grumble about things. Or to curse inwardly. And when I say curse, I don't mean use, you know, a handful of, of bad words. I don't mean curses, you know, magically speaking. I mean saying terrible, hurtful, evil things that break people down. But then after doing that, we get to church. How are you doing? Oh, I'm good. How are you doing? I'm blessed. I'm blessed, right? We use that. We turn the mask on. We turn the face on. And who knows what we were just saying in the car? Who knows what we were saying as we were running late to try to leave for church this morning? Who knows what was you were dwelling in your heart this morning, what you were thinking, what you were mumbling, what you were saying and thinking, boy, if anyone heard that, whew, what would they think of me? We use the same tongue for both, don't we? 
Last summer we studied chapter 1, verse 8, where James says that a double-minded man is unstable in all his ways. And this is a picture of that double-mindedness. That same spring is giving, this, is giving two very different um, assessments of a heart. Jesus says this in Luke 6, 43-45. You don't need to turn there. Jesus says this, For no good tree bears bad fruit, nor again does a bad tree bear good fruit. For each tree is known by its own fruit. For figs are not gathered from thorn bushes, nor are grapes picked from a bramble bush. The good person out of the good treasure of his heart produces good. The evil person out of the evil treasure produces evil. And here it is. For out of the abundance of his heart, the mouth speaks. And we can say, out of the abundance of your heart, the thumbs text. Out of the abundance of the heart, an expression is made. Eyes are rolled. A comment is posted. Out of the abundance of the heart, what you are dwelling on in your heart is what leads to the things you say. There's no in between. It's all you. In Scripture, the heart is described in four very particular ways. The mind, the will, the emotions, and the desires. So talking about the heart, these things all come together into the way David talks about in Psalm 51. He talks about the inner man, the inward being, the secret heart, that place that only you and God knows about. There's that place, and that's the heart, right? That we could even kind of mask it with the right words but get to know a person long enough you'll start seeing that heart come out in the words and their communication verse 11 does a spring produce salt and fresh water of course not it's against natural laws you can taste the water and even though you can't see you can't see the spring itself in many cases you can taste the water and you can get a good sense of what's coming out of that spring you know exactly what's coming out right and our hearts are the same way no one can see our heart either physically or spiritually But if you were to just shadow somebody for 24 hours, I don't just mean the 90 minutes here or however long you've been here this morning. I don't just mean the times where someone's in your office when you're at work and you're not alone. I mean the whole time. If someone could shadow you and everything that you dwell on and everything, the things that you wanted to say but didn't say, all of these things, if someone could shadow you, they're going to get a pretty good idea of what kind of water is coming out of that spring. All just on the words and the communication that you give. Another comparison that he gives in verse 12 is the fig tree, right? So in verse 12, he says, Can a fig tree, my brothers, bear olives, or a grapevine produce figs? Neither can a salt pond produce fresh water, right? So you cannot change the nature of a tree, right? The fruit it produces is is in the very fiber of its being. One One theologian says you can take a fig tree, you can surround it with olive trees. You can put it in a field full of olive trees. You can tie olives to it. You can cut off all the figs. You can put a sign on it that says olive tree. But you know what? It's still a fig tree. And when it bears fruit, it's going to bear figs. You can't hide the fruit that you bear. You cannot hide the kind of water that is coming out of your spring, which is your heart. You cannot change either of those things in and of yourselves. It's impossible. So when James says it's impossible, he says you can tame the animals, but you can't tame your tongue, naturally speaking, the same way. Like how would you change the source of a spring? How would you do that? How would you go in, you know, at the, at the micro level and change a tree from bearing this to bearing that? You just can't do it. 
Same with your tongue. You can't do it without someone acting on it from the outside. And that someone is Jesus Christ. But before we get to the hope, I want you to just consider this. Do you rehearse things in your mind? Best example, I think, is if you have an argument and then you get in the car and you're driving home and all the things you should have said, you just start, I should have said this, and I should have said that. That person's not even there. And they probably, I always like to say that imaginary person has probably forgotten it, like you're just really still worried about this. And you are going through in your head what you should have said. But even on a worse level, do you have things about the people that you love? that you dwell on and rehearse, like, you know, one of these days, if I were to get mad enough, I would say this. But I know how destructive that would be, so I'm not going to say it. But you're rehearsing it, aren't you? Right? You're rehearsing that thing. And a lot of times when you finally lose your temper and you say that thing, it rings a bell because you've been saying it to yourself for months. That's where it came from. So don't be surprised. You've been saying it to yourself for months. See, practice doesn't make perfect. Music teachers in the room, practice makes permanent. Practice makes permanent. And so if you are practicing to say things that even you are white-knuckling it and not saying, one day when you finally lose it, you get tired of holding your tongue, that's what you're going to say. If when that same person comes to mind, you thank the Lord for that person and you repent of the first thing that came to mind and you say, Lord, would you change my heart because I can't control this. Would you help me to love this person with my whole heart, to be thankful for this person, to bless them, to point them to you with the words that I say, rehearse that. And then even if you hear something in your ears from that person that you don't like, what you've rehearsed is more likely to be the thing that comes out. Out of the abundance of the heart the mouth speaks. So only Jesus can take the disposition of bitterness and cursing and change it to one of love and gratitude. You see, if anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation. The old things have passed away. There are new things now, right? This is the gospel. Understanding, listen, my tongue is on fire and it's been set on fire by hell. The things I dwell on are not okay. I need Jesus. But you know the only person who never dwelled on bitter, evil, hateful things to walk this earth? That was Jesus Christ himself. You see, we are helpfully trapped in our own sin and rightfully do an eternity separated from God in a very real place called hell. But Jesus Christ came and lived on this earth a perfect life that you and I could never live. He died a death on the cross that you and I rightfully, fairly, and justly deserve to die. Taking the, the wrath of God upon him, he died and three days later he rose again, conquering sin and death in the grave. And he says, come to me, repent of your sin, follow me. He'll give us a new heart. He'll start to work on that tongue. And out of the abundance of that heart, the mouth will start to pour out springs of living water. Not necessarily right away, but over the course of your life as he makes you more like himself, as we are made more like Jesus. So as we close, I just want to to model for you out of Psalm 51 what, what David says about repentance. In 14, he says, Deliver me from blood guiltiness, O God, O God of my salvation, and my tongue will sing aloud of your righteousness. Deliver me from my guilt and my tongue will then worship you. 
Open my lips and my mouth will declare your praise. Dependent on God for the things that I say and the things that I see to be Christ-honoring, to be God-honoring. Right? Psalm 19.14, Let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight, O Lord. Meditation of my heart, the words of my mouth. Not just the things that I say, but what's going on in here. Let that be acceptable in your sight. We must pray for and, and desire victory in this area today, church family. In a room this size, someone's going to get in the car and someone's going to get mad again and someone's going to have the desire to, to go from, from the nodding head in this room to that bitterness and that anger, you know, half a mile from here. Pray and say, not this time. I want to serve the Lord with my speech. Decide right now what you will say when the kid drops the milk, right? When everyone argues and says, why are we going home to eat instead of eating out? Don't blow up. Say, say something that honors Christ, that's loving towards them for his glory. See, loving Jesus is the foundation of our faith. And as we turn to this time of communion, our life is to be fueled with gratitude for what Christ has done on our behalf. And that includes the words that we say. And so I'm going to pray and I'm going to ask the music team to come forward. And, um, and as they do as well, once the music team is in place, I'll tell you, we have the elements for our communion on the tables on either side here of the room. And when the song begins to play in just a moment, you're going to take a moment, if you don't already have one, to grab one of the cups. Okay? But let me pray. Lord God, you're good to us. We love you. We thank you for your word. Lord Jesus was very clear, it's out of the abundance of our hearts that our mouths speak. The things that we say, we are, we are responsible for them, Lord. The things that we dwell on, Lord, would you change us at the level of our hearts? Lord, give us not only the motivation, but the ability to do so. As Pastor Allen has told us as we walk through Colossians not too long ago, if we are in Christ, we don't have to sin. You are changing us. You are making us more like our Savior, Jesus Christ, Lord. And I pray that that would be evident in the words that we say and the communication that we put forth to the world around us in public and in private, Lord, and at the level of our hearts. And now as we turn to this time of communion, as we reaffirm to those around us our absolute and complete dependence on the work of Christ alone, on our behalf, Lord, I just, just bring to mind things that we need to just bring to you, Lord, with a heart of repentance, Lord, that we would consider our desperate need for a Savior, that we would commit to following you, Lord, with our whole lives, that you would be glorified in any decision that's made today. It's in Christ's name that we pray. Amen.